Imagine if that was actually how preachers entered. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, guys. Imagine if, if uh, that was actually how we rocked up and we saw Sully kind of strutting his stuff as a bit of an arrogant tool in front of us every week. Um, it, would, um, it would make you think, why is Sully the guy up here telling us this word if he's a if he's an arrogant guy that's full of himself and he's trying to make it all about him. Sometimes big entrances can tell us an important thing about what a person's like. If they are important, if they're humble, or maybe if they're arrogant. This is relevant tonight because tonight we see Jesus making a very special entrance into Jerusalem. And we're going to see a glimpse into who he is, what he's like, and what he's capable of. We have a chance to measure up who Jesus is. And the big question I want you guys to ask yourselves tonight is, is Jesus worthy to lead our lives? There are many people in our lives um, where we don't have much choice in whether, in the, whether they lead us or not. Our parents, our teachers, our politicians. There are people in our world that often uh, lead us for our own good, but they lead us whether we like it or not. We don't have much say in the matter. So what do we do with Jesus? We aren't forced to follow him. Why would we then want another person trying to tell us how to live our lives? Well, what if, that, what if there was actually a perfect person for the job, perfect in their knowledge and love for you and could be trusted with and in anything? That person wouldn't just be worthy to lead our lives, we would be missing out if we weren't led by them. So ask yourselves tonight, is Jesus worthy to lead your life? This is what I want you guys to be asking yourselves as we measure up Jesus in the passage. And the first big thing we see as Jesus makes his big entrance tonight is Jesus announces he's qualified to lead you and the entire world. Did you guys catch that on the first read-through of the passage? It kind of seemed more chilled out than that, didn't it? Let's take another look. If you've got your Bibles open, we're in Mark chapter 11, and we're going to start off from verse 1. It says in the passage, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied up there. Now, colt just means young donkey, which no one has ever ridden, Untie it and bring it here. Okay, so Jesus is just rolling into Jerusalem and he sent his two disciples ahead of him to make some preparations for his big entrance. Now he's starting small, just with a donkey, but I reckon he's about to ramp up the celebrations. Check out verse 3. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. Wait, is that it? The big arrangement Jesus makes for his grand entrance into Jerusalem? Do they just start and end with the donkey? And an unridden and a wild donkey at that? I'm hoping later on maybe this donkey is going to do some karate, maybe some backflips, kickflip on a skateboard, something like that. Otherwise, this entrance is going to be unimpressive and flat. Let's keep reading and see what the disciples do in the next verse. Verse 4. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Now that's pretty cool. 
when the disciples headed into town to borrow the donkey, just as Jesus asked, it's, it freakishly pans out exactly as Jesus said it would. What happens next in verse 7? When they brought the cult to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Okay, so people are getting on board here. They're getting on board with Jesus. They're actually taking their cloaks off their own back and chucking them on the donkey and in the path before Jesus. And people are paving the way ahead of him with branches as well, putting them where Jesus is about to step. I reckon this is actually a kind of old-school show of respect and importance, kind of like how when we roll out the red carpet for celebrities, they are throwing cloaks and branches before Jesus in recognition of his importance. It seems the people around Jesus are thinking, yeah, Jesus is a big deal. And we see more of this in verse 9. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Now, Hosanna is just like a shout for God. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. So these people are sending up shouts to joy, front and back of Jesus' entourage. They're absolutely loving it. But then that's it. Jesus just rolls into the temple and checks it out. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, I don't know why the crowds are making such a fuss. It's just Jesus on a donkey. It doesn't feel like Jesus is announcing himself to be much at all. But there is something huge about this entrance that we need to see here. Now, it's all about the donkey. That's right. Now, it doesn't do karate, but the fact that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a young donkey meant a lot, uh, meant a lot to these people because they were waiting for God's chosen king that was coming to rule the world. Check out this Old Testament passage. It's going to come up on the screen. It's talking about God's chosen king to come in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It was written over 500 years before Jesus, and it's talking about the king God will send to rule over the world perfectly. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Follow along on the screen. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He'll proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Do you now see what Jesus was doing, riding on the donkey? He was actually announcing himself as this victorious king spoken about in the Old Testament. When we see Jesus riding on a donkey, he's announcing that all that stuff written about God's chosen king in the Old Testament, like his power, his authority, his kingdom, all that stuff is actually talking about Jesus. Now, has anyone here ever been on a blind date? Anyone? No? You know, a a blind date where where a friend tells you about another friend, but you haven't met them yet, so they tell them a little bit about that person. Actually, you know what? You guys never would have been on a blind date because you guys stalk everyone on Facebook. Mad, creepy stalkers. Anyway, back in the day when you couldn't stalk people and you actually had to hear about a person before you saw them, we used to have these things called blind dates, and you would hear a lot about this person 
But there was always one big, big problem that presented itself. How do you then go and meet someone on a date when you don't know what they look like? So the way you get around this is you'd have something called an identifier. That's something you would wear or bring to the date so when they turn up, they know who you are. So it was maybe a green, wear a green sweater or maybe it was bring a big red balloon or something weird like that, but it was something that would distinguish you to that person. Guys, we see in the story, Jesus' identifier was the donkey. It proclaimed to everyone that he wasn't just a random person. He was God's chosen king that they heard was coming, the one that would bring all the world under his rule. So where does that land with us? Why does that make Jesus now worthy to lead our lives? Well, first of all, it shows that he has God's stamp of approval. He is chosen by God. The creator of the universe has installed him, his son, because he is just like the Father, perfect, only good, made in the image of God. Sorry, not made in the image of God, um, of the image of God. (laughs) Uh, Jesus has God's stamp of approval. The second thing we need to take away is Jesus has authority over you and the entire world. Whether or not you want to recognize Jesus as your king, we're all actually going to fall under his rule. Now that's an awesome thing if we consider the words of John 3.36. It says here, whoever believes, in, whoever believes in the Son or whoever follows the Son has eternal life. Now that's good news to be under Jesus' rule. But check out what continues. But whoever rejects the Son will not see eternal life, for God's wrath remains on them. That means when we choose to reject God's rule, we still fall under his authority anyway and not receive a gift, but we receive God's wrath. And that's hell. So accept him or not, no one in the world can actually escape his authority. That is big authority. In all this, we're seeing Jesus announces he is qualified to lead you and the entire world. But you now might be asking, with all that power, how is Jesus going to use it? Which brings me to my second point. Jesus is a powerful but peaceful king. If Jesus is God's king, that would mean he must have tremendous power at his disposal. He could enter Jerusalem and destroy all his enemies in a day. He could look absolutely epic doing it. He could make everyone bow down and and do what he wants. But that's not what we see in his entrance. We see his great power, but we see him use it for peace, not war. Do you remember that freakish moment that that Jesus' disciples have where Jesus predicts exactly how things were going to go down with the donkey? I reckon there we're getting a special dose of Jesus' godlike knowledge, power, and influence going on to make that happen. But he doesn't abuse his power. In fact, after he borrows a donkey, he says, I'm going to return, return it when I'm done. And another thing about the donkey, it's all about the donkey time. Another thing about the donkey, when Jesus rides into town on it, it isn't just pointing to the fact that Jesus is king. It's also a humble symbol that reflects, reflects he's not a king coming to wage war, but bring peace. Take a second look at that Zechariah passage we looked at. It says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, 
and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. So the humble animal in the form of the donkey reflects the intentions of the king riding it. Jesus comes in peace, though he has great power. How different is that to our world? In our world, when we see power, we usually see an abuse of power. Politicians using their power for personal gain, or maybe it's a, it's a big corporational company that's making stuff, but it's using people overseas in poorer countries so they can pay them less. But Jesus is nothing like them. He brings about peace with his power. He's the servant king, the perfect leader who seeks to serve others completely out of love, not selfish ambition. The final way we see Jesus use his power for peace in this passage is seen in what he intends to do in Jerusalem. Because why is Jesus even going there in the first place? Well, I'll tell you. He's going to ensure peace between us and God. Jesus is knowingly and boldly marching into Jerusalem to lay down his power and lay down his life for us. He'll be arrested, beaten, mocked, and then killed on the cross. That's what he predicted and knew, but he entered Jerusalem all the same because that is what it will take to save his followers. He will take our sins and wrongdoing against God And he's going to lay them upon himself and receive the wrath of God meant for us on the cross. Jesus pays for our rejection of God's rule so we can be back in a good relationship with God. Jesus is the great peacemaker between us and God. When we believe in the forgiveness Jesus offers at the cross and make him him our king, We are actually at peace with God, adopted sons and daughters of God with the promise of eternal life to come. So that leads us back to our original question today. Is Jesus worth leading our lives, worthy of leading our lives? I think when we ask this question, we're actually really asking, are we willing to submit our lives to Jesus? Completely put our lives in Jesus' hands and letting him take our lives where he wants them to go. It sounds hard because we wouldn't be willing really to put our, our life in anyone's hands. But I just want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to imagine that a mate walks up to you tonight and says, Jerry, okay, now for the purpose of this story, your name's Jerry. Jerry, <laughs> mate, I'm having a really rough time. I keep on making these, these terrible decisions and it sent my life spiraling downward and I keep on hurting everyone with the decisions I'm making, and I'm absolutely sick of it. So I want to ask you something. Would I be able to give you all my decision-making powers in life to you? Can you just like make all the important calls, make all the hard decisions, so that maybe things will go better? Can you help me out with that, Jerry? Now, what would you guys say? No? No? No massacres saying, yeah? Give me a go. No, nah. nah, that's what we totally would say. We, we, we wouldn't take someone off on that, up on that offer. No way. Because we know we're barely well equipped enough to look after our own lives, let alone run someone else's life. It would be a disaster for us and them. But here's where it stings us, though. 
If you don't think you are qualified to run someone else's life, how are you equipped to run your own life? The reality of our lives is actually we don't run them well at all by ourselves. We hurt people, we fail, and we stuff up. Now, this isn't to say giving your life over to Jesus will no longer mean that you will no longer hurt people, fail, or stuff up. But here are two big things we can take away from today which are true for people who have a king like Jesus leading their life. The first is we can trust the direction Jesus will take our lives. We can do that because we can trust his wisdom for our lives because Jesus is God's chosen king, sent to model his good and perfect ways. This is comforting because at times can actually feel the opposite for us. It can sometimes feel like living for Jesus is just boring, restrictive, or painful. When we see our friends seemingly living it up, drinking, maybe having sex, and other things that appear freeing, we have to say no to those things. But I want to say here, we can rest in the knowledge there is a greater wisdom in God's rule than any human rule. He hasn't made up rules for the sake of rules or to be a buzzkill. We can be confident His wisdom for our lives is genuinely what is best for us. We can trust Jesus' direction for our lives. The second big thing we take confidence out of when we put Jesus as the ruler of our lives is we can have confidence in our immovable future. Now, you guys are just starting out in life and you've got a... Uh, God willing, you guys got a, a lot of years ahead of you. But there's something that just that can floor us in life and send our lives into a, into a tailspin. It could be the death of a parent, a family member or a friend. It could be a dream job, a dream team or a dream relationship that fails or falls apart. You see, life tends to knock us and throw us about with our plans over a lifetime. It then gives us confidence when we know one thing in our future is certain. That's the promise of the eternal life to come through a life lived for Christ. You see, Christians have a sure hope that when this life ends, there's only a greater life to come. So now I just want to finish up by leaving you with a picture we saw in the passage today. When the people... in along with Jesus, were throwing their cloaks and finding branches they collected in their fields to put before Jesus as he entered Jerusalem to honour them, to honour him. Do we recognise Jesus as our King? And are we throwing our lives before Jesus and asking the peaceful King to put his awesome rule over us? Because we've seen today in the scriptures, that he's, uh, he's a king that has been sent from God with his wisdom and his good plans and his peaceful message and his good works that have come to reconcile us peace with God. That's what we're going to take away today, that God's rule isn't established over us just to make Jesus more glorious It's to make our lives here better and also keep inheritance in heaven up in eternal life. Let's pray to Jesus right now.
Jesus, we just we thank you for your awesome example and your peaceful rule of the world. Please help us to see your good plan for our lives and help us as we struggle in this life to let go of the things that pull us away from you and help us to now hold on to your good rule. Jesus, we thank you for bringing peace between us and God at the cross. Please help us to rejoice in the hope you have brought us through your death and resurrection and the life to come. And please help us this week, Jesus, to commit ourselves more and more to you, our Savior King. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.